Amen and amen. Hey, welcome to the church of 1122. If you got your Bibles, and I hope you do, we're going to be in John chapter 15, John chapter 15 for the majority of the sermon. And uh, I, hey, I'd like to welcome you here today. We're, we're at a bit of a crossroads in a very positive way. You see, we're in the eighth week of an eight-week series that we call Ecclesia, where we're talking about this Ecclesia. Ecclesia is just the, the word that Jesus used back in Matthew, the book of Matthew, for the word that we translate church. Now, church comes from an old German word that means the Lord's house, but Jesus didn't use that word. He used the word Ecclesia, which means movement. He, he took the disciples to Caesarea Philippi, which was like sin city, and at the gates of hell, literally the gates of hell, after... Peter said that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God. Then Jesus said, he changes his name to Rocky and says, upon this rock, the public profession that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, I will build my ecclesia or my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so for the last eight weeks, we have been talking about who we are as a church. And we spent four weeks talking about our core values, biblical integrity, Christ-like character, spirit-led courage and sacrificial love. And then we're in the fourth week of the last four weeks talking about our vision statement as a church, that we are a movement. We get that word movement from the word ecclesia, that we are a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus. And so today we're going to dive deep on what it means to deepen our relationship with Jesus. And we were on the fifth day of a five-day revival uh, called Saturated. How many of you were here for at least one night of Saturated? Raise your hand. Huh? Praise God, right? Five times. Some of you got a year's worth of church in one week. All right. So welcome. Glad you guys are here. A bunch of my friends came in to preach. We had a worship night last night. And, and the goal was that we would just be saturated in the presence of God. And so <clears throat> what we're doing today is those things come together. So if you're here today, you're the last day of Saturated Welcome and the last week of this eight-week series called Ecclesia. And, and again, I want you to know that, that the way we do church is not the way to do church. There's all kind of great churches, and God uses all kind of different churches to reach all kind of different people. Praise God. But we figured if you were going to be a part of this ecclesia, this movement, you ought to know what we're all about. And our vision statement, this, this movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ, is rooted in what is known as the Great Commission. And if, you're, if you've got a church background, you've heard the Great Commission a million times. It's in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. This is post-resurrection. Jesus has been crucified, dead, buried on the third day, resurrected from the grave. He appeared to over 400 people for about 40 days. And then he's about to ascend to the right hand of God the Father. And one of the things I love in the context of Matthew 28, it says, as people gathered together, some worshiped him, but others still doubted. That, that makes me feel so much better as a preacher because Jesus died, was resurrected, appeared to people, and then after he says this, he's gonna float to the right hand of God the Father, and some people were like, praise Jesus, and others were like, nah, I don't know. I mean, I just don't know. You know, I've seen Chris Angel, Fox Special, I don't know what is going on here. But here's what Jesus says. He gives them the Great Commission. In other words, this is what you are to be about until I come back. It's called the Great Commission. It says this in verse 18 of Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, which means the next thing that he says is a really big deal. Go, therefore, go. Sounds like a movement, doesn't it? You see, you know what movements do? They move. 
And what Jesus is saying is my church is not just like a building on the corner for you to come to. It is a place where we gather together as believers to be filled up by him so that we go and squeeze ourselves out as we scatter throughout the week. You see, if you just come in here and sit and soak, you will be like that sponge in the, on the back of your sink. If you never squeeze that dude out, it smells rotten. You know what a church that never squeezes itself out does? It smells rotten. So he says, go, this is a movement, therefore, and make disciples of who? Of all nations. That's why we are a movement for all people, all kind of people, all color people, all socioeconomic classes of people, all religious backgrounds, all denominational backgrounds, the one thing that we have in common is Jesus. And so I've said this before, if there is a people group that you don't like, then you are going to hate heaven. So you better give it over it real quick. And a part of the reason we want this place to, to be a movement for all people is because we want to be prepared for heaven. And so I've stated as clearly as I can, if you don't look like me, please go get some more people that look like you, bring them here so we can look like heaven. Amen. And so this means all people, rich people, poor people, black people, white people, good people, not good people, Republicans, Democrats, everybody else, which there's a lot more everybody else's right now. Can I get a witness? All right. There's just this. That means you can be a cane. You can be a Seminole. You can be a bulldog. You could even be a gator. You could. You said it. I didn't say it, but you, you can't. And the only thing that makes that possible is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. That we are a movement for all people because Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And here's what you're gonna do, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what baptism is, I don't know if you can see from your seat, but right up here we got two baptismals, two baptistry tubs. When you ever show up to a service here and the tubs are in the front, it's gonna be a good service. And, and here, some of you went, who's getting baptized today? You, you don't even know it yet. We've got a few people that have been through the classes and all of that sort of thing. But at the end of the service, we're gonna make it available for anyone, for whoever would put their faith in Jesus to get baptized. I mean, people, we baptized 33 people in the last service. Grown men in all their clothes, just stepping in. Jesus is my Lord, all right? That's what we're gonna do. <laughs> and here's what baptism is. Baptism is for somebody who's discovered their identity in Christ. That they're saying, I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to be resurrected in Christ. That's what it is. It's the first step of obedience to declare that you know Jesus. That's where we get the discover word from. So he says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is a part of what it looks like to deepen, to deepen your relationship with Jesus. Now, see, here's what I mean. When my children were born... JP and Reagan, when they were born, immediately on the day they were born, I loved them and I was proud to be their dad and I was so proud that they were my children. I mean, I'll never forget, man, when JP was born, one of the happiest moments of my entire life was when the, when the doctor told us uh, at the little, you know, they put the jelly stuff on your wife and, and she looked at me and said, congratulations, Mr. Martin, it's a boy. I walked outside. First of all, I scooped her up like we just won the SEC championship. I scooped her up, and my wife, Gretchen, was like, uh, babe, put her down, please. All right, she was not as excited, but I was. And I walked outside. I called my daddy on the phone. I was like, Daddy, I made a boy. <laughs> and he says, Son, I knew you had it in you. All right, and so I was into it, all right? 
And when my girl was born, just precious, man, my son was born. I remember going over there and looking, you know, they put him in that little, kind of like where they put the McDonald's hamburgers things, you know, just kind of keep him warm and they set him down. And I went over and I just looked at him. He's little, you know what he looked like? He looked like a, a, like a little Hulk Hogan. That's what he looked like. He had little guns and shoulders. Have you seen his mama's gun? She's got guns. And so, and, and there he is, just all, he's like a little, little fat, kind of chubby kid. And he had a scullet. You know what a scullet is? It's like bald on the top. It's got a little hair around the edges, you know? It's like a mullet, but balding. And I thought immediately, but I, that's some Dylan blood right there. You could take the boy out of Dillon, South Carolina, but you can't take it out of the boy. And I looked at it, and immediately he was mine. But, but I'm not satisfied that he would stay there forever. You see, over time, not overnight, but over time, as he grows into the man God has called him to be, we celebrate that growing process. Sometimes we celebrate it by high fives, and sometimes we celebrate it with, with some serious discipline, but we celebrate that growing process. And so it's not enough to just discover your identity in Jesus, but God didn't save you just to kind of keep you in a holding pattern until one day he could take you to heaven, but he wants to deepen, continue to deepen that relationship with Jesus Christ. So he says, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, that's a relational term. Not just you're gonna believe in me and not just you're gonna worship me and not just you're gonna attend church sometimes, but we're gonna be together in a relationship. That's why this church is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is our way of saying the Great Commission. Now, the, the imperative in the Great Commission, most people think it's go, go therefore. But really, maybe a better translation is as you were on the go. So wherever you are, at work or school, on a mission trip or in your neighborhood, as you were on the go, make disciples. The imperative of the Great Commission is to make disciples. So there's a few problems there. First and foremost, you, you may ask, well, what, what exactly is a disciple? Because if you ask 10 people, you get 12 answers about what a disciple is. But we can at least agree that a disciple is somebody that loves and follows Jesus. So here's my problem with that. You ready? My full-time job, every Christian's job is to make disciples, but y'all pay me to make disciples. And let me tell you the problem with it. It's impossible. How in the world can I make you love Jesus? I can't. I mean, I could hold you and shake you and I would start the shaking ministry, okay? I would, I, I get that frustrated sometimes. I, there's no way I can just force you to love Jesus. No church can, no pastor can. I mean, I could preach the walls down in this place and you into a coma, but I cannot make you love Jesus. But what a church can do and what we try to do here at 1122 is that we can cultivate an environment whereby you grow. We can sort of set the table and invite you to come and have a seat and have an experience whereby you can discover and deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis says it this way, really smart guy. He says, if you wanna get warm, you must stand near the fire. Now that's pretty simple, but it is profound. It kinda sounds like a country song to me. I don't think you listen to country music a lot, but he should. He says, if you wanna get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you wanna be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy and power and peace and eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. They are not a sort of prize which God could, if he chose, just hand out to anyone. They are a great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at the very center of reality 
And if you are close to it, the spray will wet you. And if you are not, you will remain dry. Once a man is united with God, how could he not live forever? And once a man is separated from God, what can he do but wither and die? So what our goal is in, in, our, in our vision as a church is to kind of, is to help you draw near to the source of that thing that you long for so deeply in your soul. Our job is to cultivate that kind of environment whereby you can be face-to-face with your creator and you know deep down inside that is the thing that you have been longing for every time this world lets you down. Not just when you don't get what you want, but when you actually attain everything you ever wanted and then realize that thing wasn't enough and you go, is this it? It's a reminder once again that what we really need is to discover and deepen that relationship with Jesus. And so what C.S. Lewis says, if you want to get warm, you got to get close to the fire. He actually ripped that off of Jesus, which is a good person to rip off when you're going to write books and things. And so that's where we go to John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, Jesus is going to unpack what being a disciple is. And essentially what he uses, he uses this um, gardening kind of phrase and this gardening kind of illustration because what he's saying is, is that, that a person cannot make another person love Jesus. But what we can do is cultivate the kind of environment whereby a relationship with Jesus grows. In your notes, I started in, in verse four, but I'm gonna start in verse one. <clears throat> Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser or the gardener. Now, Here's what you need to know. That vine language was very common in the Old Testament, that Israel was called the vine. But every time God used vine language with Israel, it was also came with it a punishment because they were not doing what the vine is supposed to do. And so when Jesus comes along and he says, I am the true vine, it is a declaration of the gospel. What he's saying is, you, you've had your chance and you cannot live a perfect righteous life and obey every law. You've tried to do it on your own and you just can't. But don't worry about that because I am the true vine. I'm gonna do for you what you could not do for you. And in the moment where the folks were probably getting ready for the punishment, instead of bringing punishment, what Jesus brings is the propitiation for their sin. I'm gonna do what you could not do and then I'm also gonna pay the price that you cannot pay. I am gonna die for you so that you could be in a right relationship with the gardener or with my heavenly father. He says, I'm the true vine, my father is the vine dresser and every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit, check this out, he prunes, he prunes. You know what this means? This means that the prosperity gospel is a crock. And I'm not gonna lie, I wish there was another word there. If I read my Bible with scissors, I would just clip the prune part out. Be like everyone that does bear fruit, he blesses. But here, here's the deal. You'll either be cut off or cut back, but a cutting is coming. And it is a blessing. He prunes anybody that does bear fruit so that they will bear more fruit. That's the reason. Verse three, he says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Verse four, so he says, abide in me and I in you. Abide in me and I in you. We don't use that word abide that much, right? It just means this. It just means to stay close. That's what C.S. Lewis was saying. If you wanna warm up, you gotta get by the fire. Jesus is saying, if you wanna deepen a relationship with me, it's not about try harder. Have you ever done that? Just try to, uh, 
love Jesus. He's like, no, 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 no. You abide in me and I will abide in you. It's a relationship kind of language. It means stay close. It literally in Greek means to make a home in. And so he says, as the branch, that's you and me, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am the source of all life. I am the source of all goodness. This is why the try harder method of church and Christianity does not work. And listen, if you grew up in Jacksonville, you have tried it before. The message of the gospel is not, God is good, you are bad, try harder, I'll see you next week. Because if you try to do that apart from the vine, you cannot do that on your own. And it will either lead to pride, if you think you're doing a good job at it, or it will lead to exhaustion. Both of those will lead you far, far away from deepening a relationship with Jesus Christ. So he says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. And whoever, whoever abides in me, this is so important because you, sometimes you don't think he's talking to you. You think this abiding, staying close to Jesus, you're like, look, I'm just not that kind of person. I'm not a very spiritual person. I don't abide. And he's saying, no, no, no. Whoever you are, you could have a, a deepening relationship with Jesus. No matter how good you think you are, I've got good news that you too can have a relationship with Jesus. And no matter how bad you think you've been, it pales in comparison to Christ's love for you demonstrated on the cross. So if you fall in the whoever category, I've got good news. You can abide, you can have a deepening relationship with Jesus Christ. He said, whoever abides in me and I in him, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing, nothing. If you try to do it on your own, you'll just wear yourself out. Around here, we call it beach ball theology. And the reason I bring it up all the time, I need you to remember this. This means that, that being a Christian is not about sin management. See, I was taught being a good Christian, there's no such thing as a good Christian, right? There's not good, bad, there's dead alive. Those are your two options. And so, but, but I was taught being a good Christian is here's a list of things you do and here's a list of things you don't do. And I've told you our list a million times, okay? The things you did was go to church all the time, right? So I grew up with a bunch of kids that had a drug problem. They were drugged to church about five days a week, all right? The problem is they hated church, they hated Jesus. That's, that was the problem. I was kind of on the other end, but I was taught that you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't chew, you don't go with girls who do. Problem was, that was, that was all the girls in Dillon, all right? Prom cream was spitting. <laughs> Thank y'all, that's how it worked. <laughs> So I thought being a good Christian was taking hold of your sin and managing it. It's like holding a beach ball under the water. How long can you do that? Well, it kind of depends. Depends on how strong you are, depends on how big the waves are, how much suntan lotion you have on your hands. But eventually, eventually, you can't do it anymore. You can't, first of all, you look down your nose at everybody else that let their beach ball pop up. And typically that's the moment where yours comes back up. And if you've ever held a beach ball under the water and you let it go, it doesn't just gently rise back to the surface. It usually explodes up with violence like the sin in our life. And the gospel is not Jesus coming along giving pep talks going try harder, try harder, try harder. Jesus walks by with a pocket knife and he just stabs the beach ball. When all the air comes out, all the power of sin over us leaves. You see, you can do nothing on your own. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Verse six, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch 
and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burn. You see, this is, an, this is not an outside-in proposition. This is an inside-out proposition. I've told you a million times that, that coming to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sticking your head in the oven makes you a biscuit. That is not how it works. It starts on the inside and the fruit that Jesus is talking about. Now, if you have no fruit, it could be evidence that you don't know Jesus. But, but the fruit It's not about the fruit, it's about the root. When we're rooted in Christ, then fruit begins to be produced in our life. And there's a difference between produce and things that are manufactured. You see, when you go to the grocery store and and you go to fruits and vegetables section, it's called produce because it is produced from the inside out. That a plant must be rooted and well nurtured and nourished and watered and then over time, not overnight, if it's, a, if it's an orange tree, it produces oranges because that is what it was created to do. Now, we as people, if we try to put things together, those, then we can manufacture things. And you can manufacture all kind of things overnight, but you cannot manufacture discipleship overnight. It would be like if I took, if I took some oranges and some grapefruits and some bananas, and then I stapled them to a two by four and said, look at my tree. You'd be like, I need you to look into some counseling because that is not how that works. The future of that fruit, it's gonna rot very, very quickly. And so if you try to abide in Christ by skipping that whole part and just doing some good things from the outside in, he's saying that is not how it works. It starts from the inside out. Verse seven, if you abide in me or stay close to me and my words abide in you. By the way, this is why we make such a big deal of the Bible. He's saying a big part of the way that you and I stay close is you stay close to my word. This is more than just a history book. This is more than just an ancient document. That God's word has power in our lives. And he says, as you you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. To which some of you are like, finally the good part. I knew at some point if I do good, then the cash and prizes are coming my way. That is not the gospel. You see, if you are following after Jesus to try to get him to do good things to you, then Jesus is not your Lord. Those good things that you want are actually, actually your functional savior. You see, if you follow after God so that you can get that contract, that house, that whatever it is, it's actually those things that are your God and not the one true God. And so it is absolutely true what Jesus says here. If you abide in him and his word abides in you, then you can ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, here's what I can guarantee you it is not. It is not you kneel down before the TV yesterday and say, dear God, it is fourth and 10 and there is one minute to go. And he keeps throwing it to that same little three-foot guy. He's fast, but he's three feet tall. Will you please call a different place so we can win? And then he answers my prayer. But, but that is not what it is. Here's what it is. When you abide in him and he abides in you, then you begin to pray the same kind of things that Jesus prays. That, that your attitudes and actions and wants and wishes begin to line up with him. That's what it means. Pastor Ryan Kwan was here on Wednesday night. He had an incredible illustration of this. He's got three children and one of his children is, is on the, uh, the autism spectrum. And I can't remember what his kid did. His kid did something awesome and he just wanted to celebrate his kid. So he said, buddy, I'm gonna take you to Toys R Us 
And this is, this, you've won the lottery, son. In Toys R Us, you can get anything you want in the entire store as long as it's $30. <laughs> and says, so his, his son goes out and he spends a minute looking at all the stuff and he comes back with like a sticker. It's like a 25 cent. And Quan's like, no, 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 boy, listen to me. You can get anything you want, not just a sticker. This is worth like a quarter. Go get you something big, man. So it's $30. Go. So he goes back and he gets like a car. He comes back and he's like, no, I don't think you're understanding. That's only worth like two bucks. I want to just spoil you up to 30 bucks. So just go get whatever it is. And then his son is like, I don't know, nine or something like that. His son looks at his daddy and he says, daddy, why don't you pick? Daddy, why don't you pick? Because you always make good decisions. So then Quan bought him an Xbox. All right, it was like $300. Because <laughs> that's what good dads do. That's what Jesus is saying. That when we pray, as we are abiding in him, then we ask whatever we wish. And what we wish is, God, I want what you want. That's what I want, God. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Verse eight, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples, that you bear much fruit. And the fruit of the Spirit is listed in Galatians chapter 5. It's not fruits of the Spirit, okay? It's not a buffet. It's not like, okay, I take a little peace and a little patience and, and gentleness. You can keep some gentleness, but I'll take self-control. That's not how it works. It's when you are rooted in Christ and the Holy Spirit lives in you, then the fruit, the outworking of the Spirit in you is the fruit of the Spirit. And again, you cannot manufacture this overnight. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So if you want to evaluate, am I deepening my relationship with Jesus Christ? Don't evaluate it. You know what's not on the list? Church attendance, how many mission trips you've been on. All of those are means to an end. You see, is church attendance great? Absolutely it's great. Are mission trips awesome? For sure. But those are just planting yourself in the kind of environment whereby you can cultivate that relationship with Jesus. The question is, am I growing more loving? And do I have more joy? And do I have more peace? And do I have more patience? Again, this is why they're fruit of the Spirit, not roots of the Spirit. Have you ever tried to work on your patience? All right, I am going to be more patient. <laughs> Why is this not happening? That is usually how it goes. And I'm telling you, you be careful. You pray for patience. You know what the Lord does? Put you on JTB at five o'clock and just makes your radio air quit. There you go. You asked for it. Let's work on that for a minute. <laughs> and, then, and then I'll also tell you this. If you want to know, if you're serious about your discipleship, I dare you. I mean, I dare you to ask somebody else about the fruit in your life. This is why disciple groups are such a big deal because we are not great self-evaluators. Have you ever noticed that? We are not great self-evaluators. We either, we either grade ourselves way too high or way too low. Here's how I know, I'm 43 years old. Have any of you been to your 20 year high school reunion? Right? Walk in the door and be like, why are these people so old? I don't realize I'm one of those people. I thought I looked young and fresh and what happened to all these people? But if you ask anybody else, they look at me and be like, golly, what happened to Joby? All right, he used to have a sweet mullet, now it's all gone. So I dare you to ask somebody, hey, here's a list of the fruit of the Spirit. You know, I'm not saying that I am there, I have arrived, but over time, do you see things being produced in me? And sometimes, some of you have experienced some fruit of the Spirit and you didn't even know it was coming. 
Okay? Some of you used to cuss like a sailor, and some of you still are a sailor. Praise God, we love the sailors here. But you stumped your toe, and you were like, oh, no. And you went, what, what is happening to me? I used to have an entirely different list of vocabulary words that when shaken and stirred up, they would come out, and oh, no, just came out. I sound like my grandmother. No, 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 you're starting to sound more like Jesus. You see, you've got the, 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 the fruit of self-control is beginning to be produced, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. There's a girl on our staff. She met and married her husband, and then um, they've been married for a little while, and she came to him one day, and she said, baby, we need to talk. And guys, you know what that feels like, right? When, she, when they say we need to talk, they mean she needs to talk, and you ain't gonna say anything. And also, it's that same kind of feeling like when the principal would call you into his office and you'd be like, I'm pretty sure I'm not winning an award. What's happening here, okay? But this was a good, we need to talk. She says, look, something's just different about you. Like over the last three or four weeks, there's just, something's just different. You're just totally different. The way you treat me, your attitude, what she was describing was the fruit of the spirit. She didn't even realize it at that point. And then the husband, like any good American husband, is like, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you. About four weeks ago at the end of a service at 1122, I raised my hand and surrendered my life to the Lordship of Christ. And so he wasn't just trying to do better and try harder at home, that the spirit of God took up residency in this man and he wasn't just trying to manufacture good behavior for his wife, but the fruit of the spirit was being produced because he was abiding in Christ. This is what Jesus is talking about here. Abide in me and I will abide in you. Verse nine, and as the father has loved me, so have I loved you, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now this is important, Jesus is for you. What he is not saying is, if you keep my commandments, then I will love you. That is not what he's saying. He's saying my commandments are for you. They are for your joy. The only thing I wanna keep from you is death and destruction. And he is the author and the creator of life. He knows how to live it. He is not saying, if you do these things, then I will love you. What he's saying is the exact opposite. Because I love you, you can love me and when you love me, you will, it will be demonstrated by keeping my commandments. Every, every married man knows a bit of what this is like. I've been married to Gretchen for 16 years. Um, before I married her, I did not realize what a slob I was, okay? I mean, just an absolute slob. Husbands, can we just, can we just witness together? Uh, isn't marriage like the left lane of sanctification, right? Like the passing lane. You learn, you learn about how greedy and how selfish and what a slob you are, uh, you know, when you get married. And so what would happen is uh, when I lived with my college roommates and stuff, I mean, we were, it was pretty bad. We would clean our place like quarterly kind of thing, you know? Once it just got to be like something, you know, identify that smell. And if you couldn't identify it, we would just clean the whole, the whole thing. And that also applied to like my clothes. I would just have enough clothes to make it through like a semester, you know, that kind of thing. And usually when I would, you know, when I would hop in the shower or change clothes, I would just take them off and just kind of put them in a pile and then use the towel and just throw it in the pile. And when the piles got big enough, which really meant I ran out of clothes, I put them all together and go do something about it. So we've been married like a minute and then Gretchen's like, baby, we need to talk. And again, I thought, I don't think we do need to talk. I think you need to talk and I'm gonna listen. And so we walk into the bathroom. She goes, what is this? <laughs> and you know, 
Man, newlywed men are the dumbest creatures of all. Baby, that's a towel, right? <laughs> what do you mean what it is? It's a towel, okay? I know you got six different sizes. I just got that one right there. All right? It's a towel. She goes, well, what's it doing on the floor? Well, I didn't want to put it with the cleaners. It'll make them all stink, so I just put them right there. And what are these around it? Well, those are my clothes. What do you mean? She's like, well, well, why are they there? I'm like, I don't know. I just throw them in a pile, and then the laundry fairy, I thought, would just kind of come through and make it all better. She's like, well, could you do me a favor? Anything for you, baby. Could you just see this uh, kind of wicker basket over here? Could you just, you're going to throw them somewhere. Could you just throw them in there for me? And I thought, yeah, no problem. Okay, I can do that. And I don't do that so that she will love me. I do it because I love her. You know what else I just found out at the marriage retreat this year? For 16 years, I've been folding my socks up together before I throw them in the hamper. And in my mind, I thought I was doing a good thing. <laughs> Turns out you just get a ball of wet sock at the end of it, okay? <laughs> Who knew? And so, so now lately, I've been trying, I just remember there have been times like, oh, wait, 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 I've got to undo those. And I'm not trying to earn her love, but here's the thing, I love her. And this is even bigger. Do you know what she does not do? She does not wake up in the morning and go, do I love my husband today? <laughs> Let me check the hamper. <laughs> yep, or no, that is not how it works. You see, when, when you love somebody, you honor them. You honor them. That's why Jesus says, so as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Listen, he is for you. He is a good dad. Listen to me. If anybody dies for you, they are for you. And he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Verse 14 is mind-blowing, especially in the first century. And he says, you are my friends. The almighty, sovereign, king, and just judge of the universe says, you are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know his master's, what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. You know what this is? This is deepening your relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, I don't call you servants. I don't that I call you friends more than anything else he wants to be glorified by having a relationship with you. For all that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. Verse 16, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. This is a really, really big deal. Deep theological debates come out of verses like this. Did I pick God or did he pick me? Let me tell you why it would be a very dangerous thing to think that you chose God. Because then you think you have to do something to get your act together to prove yourself worthy of God. You know how freeing it is to understand that God is a good dad and he adopted you into his family? And he didn't even make you try out. He's not doing like the church has talent and you come up and see what, what do you have to offer my family? No, it's sort of a talent show and we are all terrible. It's like God ran a Carfax on you and it comes back wrecked, broken, didn't change the oil, uh, uh, pulls to the left really, really badly. Lemon, 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 lemon. That's what we have to offer. And he says, I'll take it. I'll take full price. And the moment he sits in the driver's seat of the car of our life, then it is restored to pristine condition. Yeah, he says that I, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, that your, that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask, 
the Father in my name, he may give to you. And in his name does not just mean that you tack the name of Jesus on to that selfish thing that we want. It means that the things that we ask because we are abiding in Christ, that they line up with the character and nature of who Jesus is. And he says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. What he's saying is that greater love has no one than this, that I would lay my life down for my friends and that is what you are. And if you know that Jesus laid his life down for you and that he chose you, then it changes everything about the things that we do. And in that invitation, he says, so come on, abide in me, stay close to me. And that's what it means to be a disciple. I've shared this story with you before, but I'm gonna keep doing it, okay? When I was, I grew up hunting. I don't know if you figured that out. I grew up hunting. And by the way, just as an aside, over the next few months, the sermons are gonna get increasingly better. Why? Because it's deer season and I'm gonna be in the tree stand a lot more. I write all of my sermons in a tree stand, so I'm gonna be with Jesus even more than I was over the summer. So you're welcome, all right? If you want them to get really good, invite me to hunt with you if you have a really great place for me to abide in Jesus. And so... <clears throat> I grew up hunting and started from a very early age. We used to hunt rabbits. And I know people are like, oh, I love rabbits. We did too with like gravy, all right? But it's okay, we're a movement for all people. And so when I was a little kid, we got hunting dogs. And my dad, for Santa Claus, put them like under the tree, wrapped up in a box. And so we woke up and they were kind of moving around. And we were like, they're gremlins, because that was a big deal back then. <laughs> and I'll never forget, we opened them and it was a, a beagle puppy, a little beautiful beagle puppy. My daddy said, what are you gonna name her? And I was like, I'm gonna name her Daisy Duke because I thought if the actual Daisy Duke ever found out, then we would be together forever and I thought that'd be awesome. <laughs> she never found out, which is praise God. All right, so I named her Daisy Duke and then my little brother, he had a little male beagle and he named his dog the Incredible Hulk. And so we had the Incredible Hulk and Daisy Duke and they were the first two pack dogs in our, in our little dog club thing. And so we would take them hunting on the weekends. And, and, and the thing is, um, honestly, Daisy Duke was, she was not a very good hunting dog at first and she was not very obedient. And a part of the reason is they were hunting dogs. They were not supposed to be pets. But when my dad was out, then we just went out and petted them and fed them cheese all the time. And you know, just kind of, we had fun with them. So then we would go out in the woods and my dad would do, if you've ever been around a Southern hunter guy, you know, they do all that, come on now, just make these noises and dogs are supposed to know what they are. Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? That's how I grew up. Get on back, you talking to me or to the dog? That, that's what, how I grew up, all right? My daddy would be like, sit. And we'd be like, okay. He'd be like, no, not you, the dog, sorry. So. We'd get out in the woods and he'd be like, rah, rah, at them and they wouldn't listen. They'd just run up to us and want to play. So one day we, we go out hunting and I'm about in the third or fourth grade with a 20 gauge shotgun, all right? Because we were armed where I grew up, all right? Like good Christian people are supposed to be. And so there we are, you never know. And I would walk really close to my dad with my gun. I had one bullet in there like Barney and so I, I would walk through and, and it was freezing cold. And we come up to this little stream, it, it was, it seemed like it was 40 yards wide. I was a little kid. It was probably eight feet wide or something. And it was frozen over. And Daisy goes walking out on the frozen ice. And my dad's like, Daisy, get on there, you know, like this to come back. And she looks at him like, whatever. And so she's just walking around in there. And then the, the ice begins to crack. And then boom, ice breaks and she goes under. She goes under, boom, she's gone. And the, the, the current of the stream is pretty fast and I can see her over here. My dad's over there fussing and I can see her over here and she is 
clawing with everything that she is made of to try to get up through the ice. But there is this barrier that is separating her from what gives life. And no matter how hard she claws, she cannot break the ice. It's just impossible. And the current of the freezing cold water is just sending her to her death like this. And she goes right by me and I didn't know what to do. And I just saw her and I thought, no way. And she's gone. And luckily, my dad, my dad is just down the creek from me and he sees what's happening and he knows what to do. So he takes the butt end of his gun and he breaks through the ice. And at just the right time, when Daisy makes it to about where he is, he thrusts his hand into the freezing cold water, grabs her by the back of the neck and pulls her up and saves her life. Not by anything that she had done, but because he's a good master and a good dad and he loves his son. And so he saved my dog and he brought her up out of certain death. And he dried her off. And then the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life happened. He let her ride on the inside of the truck on the way home. We thought Jesus was coming back, okay? You know what happened from that moment on? From that moment on, guess where Daisy wanted to sit always? Right by my dad. You know what else happened from that moment on? She became one of the most obedient hunting dogs that we had ever had. You see, the moment that you realize that we were dead in our trespasses and God by the life, death, and resurrection of his son, that he ripped us from death and brought us in to life, then that should, that should stir something in us that wants to, makes us want to do two things. Sit by the one that saves us and obey what he has for us because he, we know that he is for us and he is not against us. Amen? Now, that is what a disciple is. So then the question. So, so how do I abide? How do I stay close? And so what I did is I gave you these notes. I put this in your notes. And at first I was gonna do fill in the blanks and I knew none of the men would write this down. And you should be ashamed of yourself, all right? Next week, we start a brand new series called Stand Up and Act Like Men. Take Notes in Church is gonna be a part of it. You should. So I filled out the whole thing, okay, for you. And I want you to take this home. But this is, this is the discipleship journey of the Church of 1122. This is our attempt to cultivate the kind of environment whereby you can discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the way, as we, as we finish this up, what I want you to think about, it would be like if you and I were sitting down one-on-one at a coffee shop and you were to say to me, so, so what does it look like to mean to, to be a disciple? And I'd say, look, man, here's, here's the discipleship journey. And I would just jot this down on a napkin. And, and we're just using the language of the vision of the church of 1122. I don't know if you've seen, there's nothing in our vision that's about bigger buildings and that sort of stuff. It is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus. So what is a disciple? First and foremost, it starts in your heart. It is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Before anything else, it starts, it is, it is rooted in this reality. That you're the branches, he's the vine. You've gotta be connected and plugged into the vine. You've gotta have a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so a disciple, a disciple loves all people. A disciple is gonna discover their identity in Jesus and a disciple continues to deepen their relationship with Jesus. Just like we as a church are a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus, a disciple is somebody that is in relationship with these three areas of their life also. 
You see, a disciple loves all people. And a part of the way that we love all people is by serving people that God has put into his, to our lives. In fact, Jesus himself said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. On the night that he was betrayed, he gets up from the table, he dresses himself as a servant. He washes his disciples' feet. That was the lowliest of low positions. And then he says, I have set for you an example. You will be blessed if you do likewise. And so the question is, if you, if you have a relationship with Jesus, then where are you serving? Who are you serving? It doesn't, it doesn't even have to be at our church. But, but do you understand that God has put some people in your life for you to serve like Jesus served? And if you don't have a place to serve, then you could serve right here. You could serve the body right here. And another way that, that we, a disciple loves all people is that we share. We share the good news of Jesus Christ. You cannot love somebody and withhold the life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ. It's just impossible. Now, I know what happens. I know this happens. Anytime we talk about sharing your faith with somebody, you immediately begin to get nervous because people have, in a very weird way, tried to share Jesus with you. Anybody ever had that experience, all right? You're going to the game, and the guy is yelling on the bullhorn at me, you're going to hell. I'm like, I'm not, okay? I want to be like, I know him. All right, I'm in. We're the same team, same family. You're like a weird cousin that I'm never going to talk to, but we're in the same family. And people see that and be like, okay, if that's sharing your faith, I don't want any part of that. I don't want you to have any part of that either. But we have been called to be witnesses wherever God has placed and planted you. That you would leverage whatever God has given you for the sake of his glory to love people by sharing the good news of Jesus. Here's why we use the word share. Sometimes that means share an invitation. Hey, once you come to church with me next week at the 1122 service, we'll meet right in front of Pure Bean and then we'll come right over here. That's an invitation. A non-invitation is we should go together, get together sometime. There's no sometime on your calendar. You got it? That you would share an invitation to come hear the gospel. Sometimes you just share your story. People be like, so tell me about yourself. And, and you say, well, listen, I, you know, this is what my life was like. Craziest thing in the world. I met Jesus. He has changed my life. You know what people cannot argue with? They cannot argue with your story. What are they going to say? No, he didn't. I promise I was there. Totally changed my life. Well, how to, how to, how to? I don't know how. I don't, you got a lot of great questions, okay? I'm not sure about that, but here's what I know. I used to be blind. I met Jesus. Now I can see. Sometimes you share the gospel. I mean, the whole kit and caboodle. From very beginning, I like to start with wretched, black-hearted sinner and then take them to how you could be adopted into the family of God. And then sometimes, this one's important too, sometimes you just share another cup of coffee. Just one more time together to say, hey, listen, I'm a safe place to ask questions and, and ex try, to, try to explain my understanding of things maybe that you don't understand. So my question here would be, so who's that one more person, that one more person that you're praying God might use you to meet Jesus? Because a disciple loves all people by serving them and sharing the gospel with them. A disciple discovers our identity in Jesus. We, we, we discover our identity in Jesus which means it's not about activity first, it's about our identity in Christ, which means first and foremost that we are saved, that we have surrendered our life to the Lordship of Christ, that we admit, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, that counted for me, and now I am dead to me and I'm alive in you. But the discovery phase does not end. You see, 
This is a journey, an ongoing journey of the life of the Christian until we are glorified when we go to heaven. So not only do we discover our identity in Jesus through salvation, but also in stewardship. And anytime we use the word stewardship around church, you first think of money. And the reason you first think of money is because Jesus said no one can serve two masters. Nobody can serve both God and money because money is sometimes the biggest thing in our world. But it's not just about honoring God with our finances. It's about honoring Jesus with everything that he has given us, our time, our talent, our treasure, that you continuously discover the gifts that God has given you, the talents, the heart, the leverage, the abilities that you have, and you begin to ask the question, okay, God, I'm discovering that you put these things in me, but they're not necessarily for me. How can I leverage these things for you? That's what it means. That's a part of what it means to discover your identity in Jesus. And then it doesn't end there. But a disciple loves all people, discovers their identity in Jesus, and they deepen their relationship with Jesus in two ways. One of the ways that we deepen our relationship with Jesus is through each other. The Bible calls the church the body of Christ. And it's very popular these days for people to think and say, hey, listen, I'm a Christian, but I don't need to be plugged into a church. That would be like saying, I'm a foot, but I don't need a body. I've told you this before. If you find a severed foot between here and your car, here's what we can all agree on something has gone horribly wrong, right? And when you look, if you just see a foot, you would not look at the foot and be like, well, you know what, that foot, maybe it does not need a body. Who am I to tell this foot that it has to be attached to a body? No, you think gross. A normal healthy foot is pretty gross. A severed foot, all the way gross. It's just true. And then what's true about the future of the foot? It's gonna stink, shrivel, die. That is the unconnected Christian. You see, we are a body and a part of the way that we deepen our relationship with Jesus is being deeply involved with some brothers and sisters in the faith family. This simply, who's praying for you this week other than your mama? You, because you didn't even tell her the truth. She said, how you doing? Fine, you're a liar. That's why you need some people and they say, how you doing? I ain't doing too good. Can you pray about these things? That's a part of what it means to deepen our relationship with Jesus by deepening with the family. And then we deepen our relationship with Jesus by deepening in our faith. For for all of us, the Bible says, prayer, worship, and Bible study, that's true for all of us. After that, man, it's wide open. Some of you by exercising, some of you by being quiet, some of you by serving some calls. But the deal is that you do things that stir your affections for Jesus. And I listen, I know from your seat, you can't see all these and from all of our other locations. That's why I printed it in your notes. I can't even see it that good from here. So I had to have a print too, all right? I want you to take these things home and begin to look at them and say, okay, if this is what a disciple is, how am I doing? And then here's the most important thing. Don't try to do all six of these things by tomorrow. You'll just, you'll end up in, in utter failure once again. I dare you to take your pen and just circle one of these six things and say, all right, over the next three months, here's the one area, here's the one area that I'm gonna either love all people or discover my identity in Christ or deepen my relationship with Jesus. And then, and then we are gonna be doing this as a church because it, as our church, we're not in the crowd business, we're in the disciple-making business. And so I want you to ask yourself those things. If I'm a part of this movement, it's for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus. How am I doing? Am I loving all people? Am I discovering my identity in Jesus? And am I deepening my relationship with Jesus? And then here's how we're gonna end. One of the ways, one of the ways for all people who have discovered their identity in Christ to deepen their relationship with Jesus is by being baptized. 
And here's why, here's why. Baptism does not save you. Let's be real clear about this. We got the water out of the same faucet that is just at your house. This is not holy water. There really is no such thing as holy water. Here's what makes it that holy. When somebody sits down in it and proclaims Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, now you're sitting in holy water. And so it doesn't save, it is a symbol of something that has already happened. It's much like a wedding band, okay? This wedding band, the reason I wear it is it is a declaration to the entire world, ladies, sorry. It's a declaration to the entire world that I have a covenant relationship with my wife, Gretchen. So if I take this wedding band off, it does not mean that I'm not married. And if you put my wedding band on, it does not mean that you have a covenant relationship with my wife. You wish, and I'd kill you, all right? She's mine. It just says, I just wanna show the whole world I want to show the whole world that I'm spoken for. That's kind of what baptism is. That you tell the whole world, I want the whole world to know that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. So in just a second, we're going to stand up and and I'm going to pray. And at the end of it, if if you want to get baptized, I'm just going to invite you to walk around the outsides right here and come and get in the water and get baptized. And just, if you're like, well, I don't have the right clothes, don't worry about that. If, If... if, we, if you need to put a t-shirt on or something, we've got that. I understand you didn't show up thinking you were gonna get baptized in front of people. But if you know that God is calling you to discover and deepen your relationship with Jesus and you've never gone public with baptism, now's your chance. And what you'll do is you'll climb into the tub and one of our pastors or ministers will say, who is Jesus to you? And your answer is Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And they will say upon your public proclamation that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, I baptize you, my Christian brother or sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then they will take you and dip you back down into the water. Some people say, how long do they keep me there? Well, it depends on your sin. Ah, no that is not true. We don't have that kind of time, okay? What you're saying is, I'm dead to myself. I'm being crucified with Christ. And this is showing the whole world that I am being buried. I am putting to death the old me. And by the power of the Spirit, by the love of the Heavenly Father, and by the blood of Jesus, my sins are being washed away. Now, they're not actually washed away in the tub. That happened the moment you surrendered your life to Christ. And then when they bring you up out of that watery grave, it is so that the whole world knows that just like just like God brought Jesus out of the grave from death to life, then through Christ, when we're joined in him, he brings us out of our death and into life. And you walk out of that water living a totally different life because Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. And then you know what the church family does when that happens? We lose our minds. We clap and we cheer and we roar. And the reason why is because it is a reminder to us that there was a time when I was dead in my trespasses and Jesus brought me to new life. And so the only thing I ask is just this little section right here is gonna stay seated because we got the whole church needs to see it so we can see it on the camera. In just a second, we're gonna stand up, we're gonna pray and the band's gonna come. And listen, it's gonna be messy and it should be messy because Jesus came into our mess. And if you're ready to proclaim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you've never been baptized as a believer before, then when I say amen, man, don't wait. Just make your way over. In your clothes, whatever, you can go home and just dry off. And I know you can walk out and if you had lunch plans, I don't know, just, you know, go to Chili's, just soaking wet. People will be like, what happened to you? Like a lot more than you think. And you can tell them. You can tell them. So if you would, um, 
please stand with me and let's pray. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, we love you because you loved us first. God, I thank you that you have called us to be disciples or followers. God, that you call us friends. And so Lord, if there's every, any man, woman, or student in this place that needs to, for the very first time, declare that you are, you are their Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that Holy Spirit, you'd overcome their fear. They'd make their way. They'd step into these waters and they would never, ever, ever be the same. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. If you're ready, won't you come?